Hey guys, welcome back to season two of the Essential Education Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about what our new season is going to be all about. And uh, what we decided to talk about were solving social issues. Right. The first thing that came to our mind for this season was hunger and food insecurity. So, Arya, just a little bit about this. What can we, you know, kind of infer on our intuition? Like, what do we know already about hunger and food insecurity? Well, first of all, it's a big problem in America. I mean, a lot of states face this issue of hunger and food insecurity. And, you know, there's poor citizens who lack the means to proper resources uh, and therefore have to turn to food banks, food stamps, and other sorts of uh, ways to you know, stay, right. keep their bellies full. Right. It's a, it's a large issue in our, in our country and uh, many other countries, you know, but there is a little bit of a spectrum to the food insecurity. Um, and it kind of goes from, you know, the high food security, like me and you, um, all the way down to the very end where it's extremely, um, you know, low. And during these times, you know, people are like not knowing when their next meal is going to come and they're going, you know, full days without eating a meal. So I think let's just get a little bit into that kind of, you know, scale, so to speak. Yeah, so there's going to be people in society who have the highest food security. That's going to include, thankfully, our, uh, me and Millen's parents and our families, uh, but also everyone that goes to school and gets meals for lunch, comes home, gets dinner, wakes up, eats breakfast. Anyone who does that is included in this high food security bracket. Uh, you know where your next meal is coming from. You have a family who cares about you and feeds you. Um, yeah. Right. And, you know, although you have extremely high food security and we know a lot of people with this, there is a little bit of a in-between. There's a gray area in between. And within this, we have like the marginal to low food security region. And basically within this, although their meals are more or less promised, the quality of the food does decrease. Right. And we're talking about, you know, like, um, one minute noodles or things like that. Things, um, you know, uh, they're easy to make and cost um, a lot less than things that me and you eat on a day-to-day basis, right? You would consider this processed foods, for example. Yeah, so the main thing with marginal food security, the tier below high food security, is that these households are kind of anxious about, you know, where are they going to get this adequate food and, uh, adequate food source? They don't know where it is. You know, the quality, variety, and quantity of the food is pretty similar to what you would expect from someone with high food security. It's just this feeling of anxiety, like, okay, do I have enough food in my fridge or do I have enough food in my house where I feel right. comfortable uh, getting dinner and then getting breakfast and right. et cetera, right? So it's not a complete situation of panic at 24-7 at like we see at the very, very low end of the spectrum. But there is a little bit of that anxiety coming up and down, you know, for each meal, um, whether you be eating more for dinner or less for breakfast. It's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, stress coming into that. Like you have to figure out the perfect way to balance your money. Um, and also like all the other costs you have to manage. So things like the food stamps, as we discussed earlier, going back to that, like what does our government do, you know, in order to combat this, I think. Yeah. Um, the government itself has a lot of things. So obviously we talked about high food security and marginal food security. Now we look at low food insecurity and very low food insecurity, which are the real systemic issues in society. Where where are these people going to get their food from? Uh, so first of all, these people suffer from a lack of quality in food and a lack of uh, desirability and, vari- and variety in their food. So they might be eating the same foods 
for breakfast, lunch, dinner, they might not be having good diets. Uh, you know, they might be eating, let's say, like bread every day. Right. You know, you don't want to be having just carbs. You need fruit. You need right. protein. The nutritional aspect of their diets yeah, are like exactly way, way, way on the lower end. Yeah, you the... need a variety of food, or else you're not going to get the you know uh, nutritional vitamins and uh, minerals that your body needs. So therefore, the government has went ahead and created food banks in uh, California and elsewhere. Obviously, this is based out of California, so we're being a little specific to California. So first of all, there's the OC Food Bank, uh, or the Orange County Food Bank, that specifically packs meals for uh, packs meals for individual citizens. And uh, Millen, as well as myself, have volunteered there before, and we've actually packed these ba- uh, boxes for students. Um, and then also there is Feeding America, which is a uh, very important organization uh, that runs across the United States that whose main mission is to, you know, feed people in need. Right. The next thing that I kind of want to talk about is uh, SNAP, or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And kind of this provides, you know, the people with a lower budget, um, you know, people with a lower budget, um, kind of healthier food options than we saw earlier, right? Because usually most of these people in the lower food spectrum do not gain that nutritional aspect of our diets up at the top. So what SNAP does and other organizations, they allow to kind of process all the right, you know, measurings, like you said, the carbs, the proteins, the vegetables, all those things. And I see, I, we saw that firsthand, right? So definitely something that's interesting to us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so now that we've kind of talked about, you know, what this food insecurity is and the hunger, uh, we want to talk about, okay, where is this coming from? Why, why does food insecurity even happen in the first place? Well, there's a few reasons, right? Uh, one seems a little unrelated, but it actually is very important, and that is natural disasters. And the reason things like natural disasters can cause food insecurity is because, let's say you have a large you know, plantation farmer, uh, let's say planting rice and grains in their farm in Oklahoma. A thunderstorm or a hurricane hits that farm and destroys the crop yields uh, for his season. Not only is the farmer devastated, but so is the food supply chain. Uh, you know, everyone's lost their food for the year in that, let's say, small city in Oklahoma. And while it seems like something that only happens on a small scale, you know, things like climate change and greater natural disasters are bringing this to a much larger scale. Right. It creates a knock-on effect, basically, which is what I already tried to explain. And, you know, once one little thing happens, um, the food kind of industry is so easily affected because food is something that, you know, we think about a lot during the day, right? There's three meals during the day and there's a preparation for each meal. And, you know, there's a lot of effort and energy going into creating meals for yourself or your family members, especially if you're a parent with children. This could be, you know, something that's, you know, stressful times too, right? Because you you need to care for your children and to provide food and the correct nutrition, that's really important for their growth. So the second thing that we want to talk about that kind of causes this food insecurity is, you know, overpopulation in certain areas and kind of that that high demand and low supply, right? This is what kind of happens. And so the food eventually just becomes overpriced. Um, And for people in these areas who have, you know, they have low budgets for food. They're not having, um, you know, high uh, income jobs. So they're not able to afford that good quality food. And this leads to, you know, a lot of, like we said, the food insecurity and redirecting all these people right back to the food banks and things like SNAP. Yeah, exactly. And 
just to further that point, we, we, we pinpointed specific states in the United States which have food securities above the U.S. average, uh, specifically between 2015 and 2017. And the trend we saw growing is that usually East Coast and West Coast states uh, have the lowest average of food insecurity, which makes sense. We're the most, uh, thankfully, most industrialized, most advanced societies with uh, as many outlets as possible to grocery stores and access to food, uh, you know, food government food uh, and federal aid assisted government programs, etc. But on the flip side, uh, we saw the highest uh, food insecurity occurring in the South. Right. So when we take a look at the South, we think, you know, the probable causes for this. And we, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, the ability to transport food, um, whether it's different types of food, right? Because in certain areas, you can only grow, you're only limited to grow foods based on the environment around them. So if you don't have the proper environment, for example, places like Oklahoma, as you mentioned earlier, or Texas or Nebraska, these types of places are limited to grow certain crops. And if there even if, if there's sorry, even if there is a slight, you know, interference with that, that can create a whole chain. But even before that, you know, places like California, we have a lot of access to different, you know, assortments of food, right? Yeah, you know, we have different fruits and vegetables and things that, especially you know, because, you know, we have a Mediterranean climate yeah. and we have such a diverse uh, climate. But besides the point of climate and where your food is being grown from, we have to also look at the economic, uh, the economic vitality of a state. Right. Like how, how can the state go how, go about talking with others and trading food and getting uh, access to these resources from different places? Well, California has a lot of economic resources, right? So therefore, it can go ahead and get food shipped from a variety of locations, while somewhere like Texas or New Mexico, which may be more isolated or separate in nature, doesn't necessarily have access to these trade and international uh, sort of agreements that create easier access to food from food trucks, you know, ships, etc., different transportation. Yeah, and the population ratio to actual um, land is a lot different than California, right? We have a higher density of population in California, therefore causing, you know, more people to kind of work for our industry, whether it's truck drivers or farmers. When we have places like Texas, we have, you know, very low density there. Yeah, a lot more opportunity for food growth, but there's a lot less population in these places, causing, you know, people that do live there that need that, you know, that food for a lower price. That's not possible because there's a lot more effort going into transporting food essentially from one side of the state to another. So that's yeah. a big, big, Human big geography factor. has a, a big factor in the uh, things like food waste and a lot of social issues that we look at, right? Food insecurity. And, you know, since we kind of touched on where it's happening, let's talk about who it's happening to. So we looked at food security, insecurity by race, uh, up till 2019, and the largest population... Uh, the largest populations, unsurprisingly, unfortunately, were blacks and Hispanics with the highest food insecurity. And, you know, based on this data and based on other sorts of data, uh, Millen and I maybe infer that these groups are uh, possibly the same groups that face economic, uh, economic, you know, inequality, in addition, yeah, hardships, right, racial inequality, and now food insecurity. So obviously, 20%, 25%, that's no joke. Those are some big statistics. Thankfully, you know, their food insecurity has dropped since at, in 2004, for example, blacks were 25% food insecure. One in four black people didn't have access to enough food, right? But now it's dropped to below 20%, for example. Right. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, we can kind of infer this, you know, based off our own intuition and what we see around us in our environment. 
um, or whether it's on the internet or social media. But it's just, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, a lot of these um, racists are kind of stuck in that wormhole of not being able to kind of escape. And it's that same vicious cycle that they go through over and over again. Um, and, you know, the main thing that a lot of these races are dependent on is that government aid, as we discussed earlier. Yeah, and we'll be discussing the same sort of topic. You're going to see it woven into our season, this uh, into this season as a theme of social issues, which groups are being discriminated against. Over and over, you're going to see blacks and Hispanics at the top of the charts just because they face income inequality, educational right. inequality, you know, um, a whole variety of issues that need to be solved. And also, a lot of the issue is, you know, many of the, you know, Hispanics and um, African Americans, their, their wages and their income... Uh, yearly salary is not similar to many of the white uh, population or Asian population, for example. And so, you know, this can lead to living in, you know, an area with, you know, the quality of living in these types of places that these races have to live in are, you know, a lot worse than what we experience. And so the government aid might be a lot worse and all these other factors come into it. And so they're kind of dealt with all those one-two punches at the same time. Yeah, and another thing that we really want to discuss is, okay, let's look at a pie chart of where is this food insecurity happening, or not even where it's happening, but to what percent of the entire population. And what we found is that just less than half of the overall population has high food security. So that means more than one in two Americans are facing some sort of discrimination yeah. against food, some sort of food insecurity whether it be at a marginal level or a very low level. Right, and this doesn't mean, like you said, it, we have to factor in the marginal and the low. Um, you know, a lot of these people are not always in a state of panic, but it's a state of being uncomfortable, you know, in the situation, right? And it right. could be, you know, maybe once or twice a week they, ha they have a rough day of not eating or examples like that. So, you know, not everyone is in a horrible situation where they have to go to food banks every single day. But yeah, that would what? pretty much only apply to the very low food right. insecurity where uh, very low food security where they don't have their everyday to day meal. But, yeah. you know, another statistic that we want to talk about is the prevalence of food insecurity by meal plan. And that means who has a plan to go get their meal every day, at least one meal a day. Mm. And, you know, 54 percent don't have 54 percent of people that are in some way food insecure don't have a meal plan. Right. And even when we look at, you know, the race factor of it, when we look at non-whites, you know, that number's increased because the food insecurity is now at 51%. Um, and as for whites, you know, th these meal plans, um, you know, are a lot more secure than, than other races. And so this is something that we all have to take into consideration. And this is something that, you know, our, our country, our government is working towards fixing, thankfully. Um, and it has been getting better, right? Looking at this data since, um, you know, the early 2000s, it's slowly been dropping. So this is a good thing. And, you know, on that topic of kind of trying to stop this issue and kind of, you know, move forward, how can we combat food insecurity? What are the steps that me and you can take or anyone listening to this podcast, you know, to kind of dampen this issue? Yeah. So the first thing is just reducing your everyday food waste. So you finish dinner, you're, scra you're scraping off food from your plate. That's food that could be, I know you hear this all the time, you know, your parents tell you, you know, kids in Africa could have that meal. And that's true. You know, kids around the world that don't have secure access to food on a daily basis are right. suffering because, you know, you 
go about it's not all your fault but at, you know it, it builds up as we talk about right you and another kid and another kid just aren't finishing their meals right. and that food's being thrown away so maybe buy less groceries and cook less food so you guys just eat what you need uh without overeating and then throwing away food right that that, that small little action of reducing your food waste can have you know a large effect in the long term right i mean you know the point that you said was uh kids in africa well I, uh, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, well, looking at these demographics, there are kids in our own community, there's kids in our own neighborhood, kids in our, in our city or our, our state that are dealing with things probably the same level or even worse. So, you know, it's, it's not just that kind of same saying of there's kids in Africa, there's kids everywhere. And, you know, hopefully by listening to this podcast, we can kind of make you guys a little bit more aware um, that these issues are prominent, you know, in today's world, and especially in advanced societies such as ours in, you know, Southern California. Yeah. Uh, now, the next thing we want to talk about is, uh, Milan, you want to tell them? Right. So next thing we want to talk about, as Aria mentioned, is kind of, you know, the programs we have to combat the food security, right? So the infrastructures that we have, and this all starts with the farm, right? And this is, you know, What's our overall goal? Because there's a lot of uh, imperfections that occur in the beginning phases of farming, and there's a lot of waste that occurs then. So, you know, a big stressor for these people would be to, you know, have a, a good and, you know, a good plan of how to farm properly and not waste and, you know, make sure all that food is properly transported to the right people um, in the right areas. Because I think this kind of idea of having you know, certain areas with high population density receiving all the resources, that's only going to create uh, that gap. It's going to make that gap a lot bigger. So to yield this gap, we must, you know, work together to kind of spread this food out and make people more aware that there's people in places with less population, but have a hot, much, much higher demand and need um, for, you know, food security. Yeah, now the two other things I really want to talk about there, uh, in addition, you can do to help our, uh, well, not you specifically, but what can our entire government do, is improving trade policies and promoting diversification. Improving trade policies is very simple. There are farmers in the community that simply cannot feed others because there's unfair trade policies. Now, what this means is that you have these large corporate people that have already stepped in and commercialized the food, making it a very impossible process for these farmers to get directly from their farm to your grocery store, right? right. So it's a very large, difficult kind of process because these corporate people want right. to make it more difficult for you. Right. They make it harder for these small-scale um, small scale farmers to put their products on the market, right? So governments should may maybe improve their policies and therefore make it more fair for everyone to get access to these markets. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that was what's going in on in India right now, northern India and Punjab, and that's, you know, somewhere that we associate very closely with. And what's happening here is the government is trying to take um, a, a tyrannical control, like, over the, the farmers and, you know, what they're able to sell and the taxes they receive from their money and the prices. And once they start, uh, you know, gauging all those things, then it's just, it turns into a bit of a mess. So the government needs to learn how to work with our farmers because at the end of the day, these people are essential to us you know, our daily lifestyle. And so improving these relationships with our farmers uh, is another essential key thing for us to work towards. And lastly, the thing I think we wanted to both discuss was climate change, because we know on our next episode, we're going to be discussing climate change. Um, but, you know, 
when it comes to our, you know, when it comes to the mind, like climate change and a long-term effect for food, because, you know, what, what are we talking about? Pollution here will affect the crop growth. Therefore, you know, maybe if there's less crops, it's going to even create more food insecurity. So what do you think about that, Anya? Yeah, climate change is a large issue, and we talked about this earlier. Uh, you know, it's creating natural disasters in our community, and these natural disasters are going to affect local farms, they're going to affect people's day-to-day lives, and all of these things built up and culminated really do create a much more, you know, much larger impact than we can even perceive on the entire topic of food insecurity. So specifically, uh, climate change affects our lives and the production of food, right? So clearly it's creating one of many issues, right? We look at, you know, things like cities by the sea where there's tsunamis that might occur. Uh, you know, we look at uh, drastic weather conditions that affect our everyday lives of, you know, can we go out? Can we go to the store? And, you know, it's such a large, like looming issue that food insecurity is only one part of it, which is why we want to delve into the specific nature of why climate change is so important to study and you know talk about but you know once again bringing this back to the overall idea of food insecurity we have to make sure that we fight climate change because if we don't we're not going to be able to uh, provide food and produce food in a sustainable manner (coughs) sorry and therefore we need to make sure that these communities are provided with the right amount of food well that wraps up our podcast for today about food insecurity we hope you guys enjoyed and took away some valuable insight about why food insecurity is such a large issue in our community and therefore needs to be solved as soon as possible